Hello, hello, hello! It is the first time I've done the intro in a while, and welcome to Music Speaks. This podcast dedicates itself to how music impacts people's lives. For this show, we usually have three co-hosts. My name, of course, is Sean Kunis, our recently married friend, Mary Haddock Scrimmons, who is not here, and my friend, Hunter Segoa. Hunter, Mary, and I believe that many people have a playlist that makes their life unique through music. We pride ourselves on building upon our musical knowledge with our featured guests, jamming to incredible music, talking about a wide variety of artists and composers, dot, 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 and everything in between. So in 1970, Stephen Sondheim would debut his show Company, which would be his sixth Broadway show. Uh, according to Rick Pender from Everything Sondheim, Company is, quote, a minimally plotted collection of songs and stories, more like a review than a traditional musical, about a single man, his married friends, and several girlfriends. Robert wrestles with relationships and commitment. Uh, I've, uh, it has, sorry, the show itself had received a staggering 14 Tony nominations at the 1971 Tonys, and win, it went on to win six of them, including Best Musical, uh, George Firth won for Best Book, and in the only case where the music category and the history of the Tonys had been split into Best Score and Best Lyrics rather than just one category, Sondheim wound up winning both of them. Ooh. So that's pretty impressive, don't you think, Sean? Oh, yeah. Oh, my goodness. I am so excited to talk about this show. Yeah, it was fortuitous because I had ha- I, I was, when we were planning all this out, we were deciding what shows we were going to do and everything, you know, it was on Broadway, they had just done a revival and Sondheim had just right. passed away. And, um, you know, it just, I, I thought it was like a, a good one to do, especially since it had gotten such, the, the revival had been doing so well, there seemed to be a renewed interest in the show. So I think we can get started right away, don't you? Absolutely, my friend, whenever you're ready. All right, so. We can start with Act One, which opens with the muse, the the number, the title number of the show, Company, which is sung by Robert and Company. Um, so, Sean, you know, the first thing I had noticed about this particular piece um, is that it has this really dirge-like beginning, which starts with all this. The voice almost act like bell tones as they're going, but the rest of the piece is nothing like those first few bars. This yeah. intro is very different and then it goes into this more fast-paced um almost i don't want to say frantic but it shows you the chaos of of bobby's life um and it's also a show that features a lot of sound effects which we see in this first number where the use of the alarm clock is sort of like starting out the process of his day and it's funny we were talking about specific measure numbers i don't have a specific measure number but I can tell you that my favorite chord in this whole piece, I've pinpointed the chord, it's a, I believe a D minor seven with a fourth added in there. Um, and it's when they say, um, phone rings, door chimes, in comes company. And when they say, uh, company, and they hold the note, that's, I think that whole part's just a great, um, it's just a great set of chords, mm-hmm. a nice progression. So I'm curious, uh, what stood out to you at the beginning here? I think what's interesting is, and if I can give a little background to those, uh, Hunter gracefully said the what the musical's about. It's about, you know, someone's life. It's not really like a regular Sondheim musical in that 
there's a lot of fantasy there's a lot of things going on it's kind of like a normal life in new york city mm-hmm. and basically the premise of the show bases around robert and these relationships that he has with other people so hunter what's interesting about this 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 uh, musical is that the musical bases all of its themes around perspective mm-hmm. which i think is really important yeah and something about that and something about building in realization versus perception is super important, especially the way that we visualize art and visualize media and all that stuff. But all we're visualizing here is we're visualizing what Sondheim considers to be the perfect relationship. We had this conversation when we did uh, Children of Eden mm-hmm. a long time ago. Which yeah, feels that was like, many moons ago. I know, which feels like forever. Um, but we talk about this word perfect. This word perfect, it does kind of s- sort of say in the English dictionary that the word perfect means an ideal situation planned out in one's head. I think mm-hmm. that's a really apt way of describing perfection. But we all know that we live in a dog-eat-dog world that that is not the case there is no such thing as a perfect relationship there is no such thing as a perfect marriage there is no such thing in that at all sondheim with his beautiful mind and his utmost creativity says this he's like in musicals they show everything in perfection everything glistens it gleans and i think hunter kind of agrees like would you say, like in Hello, Dolly, which we've also talked about, how everything kind of seems very glamorous about being in a relationship and everything so glamorous about Sondheim himself, a openly gay man, also very interested, you know, in all different kinds of relationships, also says this, which is musicals can be a doorway to understanding the rest of the world. So mm-hmm. in his mind, the beginning almost describes exactly what I just said, perception versus reality. You know, perception can be one thing. We can totally think this is one thing, but in actuality, it's totally different. We see that when he uses different versions of the, of the same word, which is one name. Mm-hmm. You probably know what I'm talking about. Oh, yeah. Bobby. My, that's my favorite part, which is when they start calling different people different different couples call him different names right and there are i believe correct me if i'm wrong there are six couples in this in this uh in this musical i think that's I believe right. there are could be could be five but i think there's six um we see three in each act i think that plays out just rightly enough that each couple has its own time with bobby i would say kind of about 20 something minutes with bobby i'd say individually i'd say um they do have groups together then that those definitely build up the group numbers and this is one of the group numbers and i'm going to totally get to what i'm talking about which is like we said perception versus realization people see bobby in different ways rely on him and one of my favorite things about that like i said they call him bobby they call him bob they call him robert they call him robert darling bobby bobby honey my favorite out of all of those is robbo <laughs> Robo, hilarious 
So I think in a way, what's interesting about that is like what I said again, everyone has their different opinion of Bobby. They all love Bobby, but in their own special way. Mm-hmm. And we start to see that play out a really big role in Bobby's life. There is this ultra huge idea, and you can totally disagree with me on this, but I once had heard that in actuality, all of this is actually going on in Bobby's head, and he's actually alone. So all these voices in his head are basically like, you know, the crick, like like the you know Jiminy Cricket versus the devil, you know, mm-hmm. telling him what's right versus what's wrong, you know, and it almost, and again, this is super super crazy. These are actual people in the show, mm-hmm. but in my in the actuality, there is there's a theory that Bobby is actually the central character and only alone, but having these voices in his head, almost like a schizophrenic where he's dealing with all this different emotion and all these different ideas are popping into his head and it's hard for him to concentrate because he has so many people in his brain. I think it's an interesting interpretation. I mean, I've, I've, I personally have never heard anyone talk about it as such, mm. but I think there's definitely a world in which that could be the case because you could make the argument that, or rather you could stage it in that way. Yeah. You know what I mean? And to be honest, it wouldn't really change the plot of the no, show no. all that much. Um, so I, and, and that would provide, I think a whole nother psychological lens. I think it does. For the show. Yeah, I think it does. And I think in a way that adds to the psychological aspect of this first number, which mm-hmm. is annoyance. Right. And also the fact that, um, and hopefully I'm not on, on too much of a rant here, but again, you can stop me. But I think the thing that's so interesting about this piece and, you know, you probably know this, but, um, the people, who, I mean, who taught uh, Sondheim being Oscar Hammerstein, mm-hmm. pretty obvious, and also some really great minimalist composers at the time. Mm-hmm. Who loves minimalism more than my friend Hunter? Nobody. <laughs> um, but my favorite thing is that he, he, he had these teachers that would teach him all these crazy different things and you said it yourself, Andrew, you have the ad for or, you know, these crazy, crazy, like, ultra whatever chords, right? He mm-hmm. gets them from, from learning crazy classical music and then applying all of these crazy contemporary themes from those teachers into his music. Because, and it really often shows that Sondheim did like those but he also hated the teachers that he, <laughs> he had to listen to <laughs> talk about this all the things and i love that too and so in a way just like you sometimes making fun of minimalism is what he does in this theme which is the whole theme of this first movement is based off of two notes mm-hmm. a minor third which is the basis for the piece and ironically Sondheim only came about it by just one day clicking on his voicemail. Beat up. That's pretty funny. That's how it came about. And then he used that whole thing. And the piece itself is so interesting where there are these really extended harmonies. But he does that because he's been taught that way. He does all he likes, all these different things. But it also adds to the annoyance Mm -hmm. of the character. Because 
it's it's going to build up over time. It's there's so much that one person can really take, and right. That, and I think that's sort of building throughout the show. Yeah, and and shows the limit of the character, which I almost mm -hmm. think is really cool about this piece. Is there is there is a really joyous part of this. It, it's very joyous. This first number, I think it's really beautiful. And something that I like about the first number is, I think I wrote this down was that. The annoyance can get so crazy that it can get so and so psychological that it can feel like an M Night Shyamalan movie. <laughs> that is really actually just, a pretty good way to way to describe you, it. You just don't know how it's going to end, you know, for Batman. No. So I think that's pretty cool. Mm -hmm. But some, one other thing that you I want to harken back to sort of is sure. that you mentioned about you know way at the beginning you mentioned perception and you mentioned um, perspective and what is the idea of the perfect relationship quote unquote yeah. and this first number after the opening which is called mm -hmm. the little things you do together oh yeah it's it's joanne who's the the elderly uh many times divorced um i'm not elderly she's just she's middle-aged um but many times divorced woman who is sort of like She's not jaded against the against getting married, but she's done it so many times that like she she has her concept of what marriage is. Um, so she has her own perspective to your to your point. Sure. And mm -hmm. what's interesting about her perspective in this song is that, like you said in other in other shows, love is this romanticized thing, and and it's the big sweeping moments, and you know it. Dolly's a good example. You know, they have their big dancing scene, and it's good, which in its own right is is good, and I'm sure there are people who feel it, that it's that way. But to her, uh -huh. and by extension, to a point, Sondheim, I mean, again, people can write things that are not their own opinion. It's the opinion of the character. Um, she has... It, it's a hilarious song because her point is that it's the little things, hence the name of the song, that make a relationship work. It's not because you two are destined to fit together. It's not has nothing to do with fate, nothing to do with um, anything other than you can find enjoyment in the day-to-day -day things that you do in your lives together. And my favorite line, I'm gonna do a little, I'm gonna do a little slam poetry here. Yeah. And my favorite stanza in it is, she says. It's the little things you do together, swear together, wear together, that make perfect relationships. The concerts you enjoy together, neighbors you annoy together, children you destroy together, that keep marriage intact. Yeah. Um, and I, I, I laugh every time I hear that line because it's a, there is a ring of truth to it. It seems so absurd to say, but it's like, you know... Uh, Raising a kid is obviously something it, it takes. If you're if you're a married couple, it takes both people to raise them, right? I mean, it, it's Definitely. things you share in common. One thing in common being that kid and how you have to navigate parenthood, and that can be a strain on a marriage, or it can be something that you know is a tie that binds. Um, and another thing being that you know it could be something like you know it mentions concerts you enjoy together, right? You you have similar interests, you enjoy going to things, or it, the line before that is neighbors you annoy together. I mean, it's just being yourselves with each other, regardless of what the other people around you think. Mm -hmm. That's what makes for the healthy relationship, right? Not sti one person stifling the other in order to uh, appease the other one. That is true. 
You know what I mean? So I just think it's a really interesting and yet not commonly heard perspective on marriage. And yet my uncle, it's funny, my uncle always says something similar about like, you know, about making sure that the person with whom you decide to either go out with or or marry in the end or, you know, just be with, um, that's the most important part is making sure that, you know, your interests are similar, making sure you have things in common because eventually everyone gets old, right? I mean, you're not going to be young forever. So in your older age, what can you do together? You're not going to be like gallivanting around town, enjoying yourself the way you used to. You know, it's the simple things that you can enjoy as a duo. Right. So it's just a take that I, I found very interesting. So I'm curious to hear your thought about it. Sure. To borrow some language that you that you just used, some some of my mm-hmm. favorite slam poetry in this is, um, and I could get this wrong, um, is it's it's not so hard to be married. And then Joanne finishes it off and says, "I've done it three or four times," <laughs> <laughs> which is funny because she has been married three, but it could be four. You know, so mm-hmm. watch out for what she's up to. Um, there's nothing better than a salty Patty Lapone, I find. <laughs> um, and I think that, you know, like that, I think what I was going to say earlier, earlier to maybe one of your comments is Joanne knows the ending. She does. Right. She, she knows what's going to happen. She, she's the fortune teller that doesn't get enough respect. Um, and she knows, you know, and what's frustrating about that, I mean, we'll get into it when we talk about uh, ladies who lunch. Oh, yeah. um, which is one of the craziest and lovable songs about this this musical. Yes. But one of the things that I, I love about this uh, this piece is yeah. Also, there's nothing better than a salty Elaine Stritch as well. But yes. Um, but also, what I find about this 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 movement that's so interesting is again exactly what you just said. More perspective. Um, there's not a, re- this is not a really intense song. And I think that, no, it's definitely more for comedic purposes, but it does have purposes. a message. Exactly. And I think that that definitely plays into what Sondheim is going for. Mm-hmm. Set the information through a comedic song. That's the easiest way someone can learn something. Through yeah. Comedy, which I think is about basically life and comedy have its, you know, ups and downs, but if we can find the comedy in life, then we can find the meaning in what, what's so funny. Mm-hmm. But I think Sondheim does really well in this, this song. Yeah. And it's funny you should say that because the next song after that mm-hmm. is called Sorry Grateful. And oh, yeah. it's sung by Harry, mm-hmm. David, and Larry. Sure. But what's interesting is that the song itself, it's a pretty uh, somber sounding song. Or maybe maybe in the summer, wistful might be the more uh, apt description. But the line that I highlighted from it is the funny line from the the song, which is, uh, "Good things get better." Uh, sorry, good things get better, bad gets worse. Wait, I think I meant that in reverse. Um, because you would assume that with marriage, right, good things would get better and bad things would get better, right? But it's supposed to be like, oh, the old stereotype of like the guy saying like, oh, I'm married now. You know, it's like, oh, things are. Um, 
But again, it's comedy, and yet this whole wow. song, the Sorry Grateful song, I think is a very honest and yet unspoken truth about marriage that, or, or through the perspective of Sondheim, right? It's this concept of like, you're happy that you did it, and yet, you know, there is a piece of your life that's not the same anymore. Um, and some people might long for that piece again, and yet they wouldn't want to get rid of what they have. So mm -hmm. it, it's an interesting thing that, again, most people probably wouldn't admit to. Like if someone asked, oh, are you happy to be married? Most people would say, of course, sure, sure. Um, <laughs> but uh, as the wife holds the gun to their shoulder. And <laughs> but I think it is interesting that the men in this particular song acknowledge the fact that there's two sides to that coin that it doesn't worth it's it's not worth denying that you can be regretful about things that you don't have anymore right. because you're not single. But at the same time, you can't imagine your life any other way now. And that's the important part. Right. More perception. So that's just something I took away from that. More perception versus reality. Exactly. That, mm. And I think this might be the song most, I think that identifies perception versus reality because it's what you would have perceived versus what actually happened. Right. My favorite line being, you don't, you do live with her. Wait, no, it's, you don't live through her. Wait, you do live with her, but you do live. Wait, no, wait, hold on a second. Let me just think about that again. It's, you don't live through her, but you do live with her. Mm -hmm. That line speaks to me because when you think about it, you don't want to live through exactly what they're they're living through but you do live with the person that's next to you right which i think is kind of again we play this whole oxymoron game when we're talking mm -hmm. about sondheim sometimes because sondheim finds a way to twist words into finding true meaning my favorite being regretful happy where i look for answers when none occur You'll always be what you always were, which has nothing to do with not to, All do, to do with, with her. her. Yeah. Yeah. Which is true. Which is, is totally like, again, fighting these opposites. Like, mm -hmm. yes, there are things that you don't have to live through your partner, but yes, they'll know about it, you know? So it's one of those things where damned if you do damned if you don't kind of situation where the it almost feels like the you know they got the dad is really saying yeah i mean that is really the case however it's learning how to deal with both problems and then dealing with the solution of something else mm -hmm. which is also something i think that that pops up in another piece that we'll eventually get to but this concept sure. of like um, what's the, uh, acceptance, acceptance. And, and like I said, we'll get back to it. And I think that kind of plays into the metaphysical aspect of the song, which is the song is in six, four, which, mm -hmm. which is basically six, eight, but it, it, it acts like a mirror where it, anytime, like, you know, it feels like it's in six, four, but like the downbeats feel different than the upbeats and the upbeats have different meanings than the downbeats do. Mm -hmm. So it has this sort of like, not the mirror that the mirror effect, but like it has like a different affect to, to what's happening. So there's like a contrasting 
effect going on within the within the piece itself. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I agree. And the uh, what's what I'm looking for? You you know you said about um mirrors. Sorry, this that was gonna be the most that was gonna be the most horrible transition of all time. <laughs> I was gonna try to say something about mirrors and driving yourself crazy, which would master segways, ladies and gentlemen, master of segways. Oh Pretty yeah, currently failing. Um, but the 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 song that comes after that seems to be like a total departure from the the deep deeper meanings you know what i mean that we had been talking yeah. about in previous songs less introspective this yeah. one seems definitely i think to be the most next to the little things it seems to be the most outwardly comedic song but it's also yeah sort of a definitely. harsh song as well i the song is called mm -hmm. you could drive a person crazy and it's sung by kathy april and marta mm -hmm. and i don't know this song always struck me as sort of out of place in the show and i'm not quite sure mm -hmm. why it um, doesn't fit the genre. Really. No, I don't. Yeah, I think that might be it. it. It doesn't seem to fit the genre of the show. No, it doesn't. But let me tell you why I think it's out of place. And, and you have the you have the right to say that it's out of place because mm -hmm. that's what Sondheim wants it to feel like. It it's supposed to grab your attention. Mm -hmm. it's, it's it's this big jazz number, and we're coming away from these very contemporary looking like aria songs. That are that are, that's very duetty. We're coming from a, also from the the little things you do together. Also a little playful. We can sort of think about that. But then when we think about you can drive a person crazy, that like you said, it's a big style change, and it it should grab your attention because this is the first time we're learning about the red flags about Bobby, things that <laughs> the, the girls are kind of afraid to talk to him about, you know. But yeah. It's it's funny because they're they're poking fun at the main character. Yeah, they are. It's you know mm -hmm. it's one of those times where I and, think it's and addressing, we don't get that. and we don't really get that in musicals ever. You know, no, we because really... again, it addresses. Oh, sorry, go ahead. No, I was just going to say it just pokes holes in our main character. We don't we don't ever really get that in a musical. Like we we get like. Honestly, in musicals, in like earlier musicals, we kind of sing about how great these characters are. Maybe in Hello Dolly, we kind of talk about like you know one of my one of your maybe one of your favorite characters. We talk about Dolly being this like <laughs> larger than life character, and they sing yeah. about that, you know. But there's not a lot of musicals that like tear apart the main character, and I think yeah. that's almost kind of funny. Where it's almost like it it, it almost like it takes takes a second and says. Hello, disclaimer. This is what's problem about Bobby, um, right? And they don't really. There's not a lot of time to do that in, in in a lot of musicals, but they take the time here because Bobby. I think um, you probably know this, but the segue into the song is, "I have no problem trying to get back into marriage," and all the mm -hmm. characters go, "You, I've heard you say otherwise before. I mean, you totally dismiss that idea at all time, you know?" Right. And uh, it just felt like. It was a point to just kind of like start to like make fun of Bobby because Bobby at this point was just like this glorious character and he still is. But it's funny because it then breaks down the emissions in, in, in of, of Bobby's personality, you know? Yeah. 
Well, yeah. to your point, I can't really think of any other musical off the top of my head that really points at the flaws of the main character. I mean, other than Carousel, which is about like it's about his flaw. That's the that's why he's um that's why he's in the situation in Carousel that he is, where he's come back and he has to make right with the daughter and all blah blah blah, you know. Um but I can't think of anything off the top of my head where it's like the point of the musical is by the end of it is that the character has to address his flaw. You know what I mean? Because that's really the point of the show is that he's this emotionally stunted person. Right. Who, um, and I mean, it, it's not really his, I mean, I guess you could argue it's his fault, but it, it's not really his fault. You know what I mean? He's never been pushed to get out of this cycle that he's in. Um, even though the friends, they kind of try to, and you know, they the, the, they have the whole song where they're going to set him up on a date, and you know, and he sort of just goes along with it and doesn't ever right. let it get to anything. And who wrote Carousel? Oscar Hammerstein. Right, exactly. Rogers and Hammerstein, his teacher. Exactly right. So clearly pulling from, uh, like you said, the, the things that he's familiar with. Yeah. Although I suppose, well, I was going to say also, you know, he worked with Bernstein, but. Uh, even in even in West Side Story, Tony and Maria are not the flawed ones. You know what I mean? They're the only ones who aren't flawed because they're supposed to be the uh, they're supposed to be the heroes, the tragic heroes. Maybe maybe Tony, maybe Tony a little bit. Well, I mean, obviously he kills. You know, he, obviously he he kills the guy, but in the sense that you know, by the end of the show, you're supposed to be rooting for their love. It's just it's doomed. It's tragic. You know, it's never going to happen. Well, but ideally, do. they want the world that should happen you know what i mean bobby doesn't necessarily want the world that should happen he wants to stay in his little bubble yeah yeah and he wants to feel like he doesn't know what he wants yeah which is putting him in a very comfortable place exactly right because it's something like you said he's comfortable with it's it's familiar to him and and jazz is such an outwardly expressive event right you know i think that's the opposite of his personality which is cool Mm -hmm. collected honest Jazz is just so emotional and so outwardly like expressive, you know, and that's not mm-hmm. who Bobby is. I think right. that's exactly what you were saying. Like, why the piece doesn't really match that? Yeah, it feels like the '30s, '40s jazz, big band, you know, Brad, big big lights, burlesque, you know, it's just kind of like right in your big face, you know. So yeah, with the not, women's not, voices not, and not that you have a big face. No, I'm just saying that you know, like, <laughs> in the general sense of like jazz, just being one of the really at that time being a really loud art form, you know, and people mm-hmm. like, like parents who were just like, that's not me. That's not how I want. And Bobby is kind of like that where he's kind of like, he's okay. He's very contemplative. He's like, yeah, this is okay. I, I like it, but I, I don't need to know why I need it yet. You know? And I think yeah. that's why he figures out we're, we're going to solving the, the end of this musical. But I'm just saying like, like you said, you, you made a really good point with the whole, like, why is this here? It's mm-hmm. perfectly honest. It pokes fun at Bobby. It exposes his character more and shows outwardly ex- emotional aspects of the other people that he's dating. So right. I think that's kind of important. Too. And it's funny you mentioned parents because the next song, which is Have I Got a Girl for You, which is in this very heavy compound. Well, part of it is in Ooh. Compound Meter, um, which is it's Larry, Peter, Paul, David, and Harry. Right. And it's these guys setting him up on all these dates right. and or or telling him that they have a they have a girl for him right they they're like we found the one for you right. and he's like mm, i don't think so no. but i'll i'll give it a go 
not really ever intending to actually give it a go. You know what I mean? It's like he's just going through the motions. <laughs> but what's funny is because you mentioned parents, this seems like such an old world parent thing to do. You know what I mean? They're like, oh, I have the perfect person for you. You should go. You know, I have my friend down the street whose daughter is looking for a date. Or like, oh, my son is doing, you know. It, so. It's it's a very like community, uh, familial community uh, action to to try and set people up together. You know what I mean? It used to be speaking of Dolly, it was a person's job long enough ago to find p someone a match. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it, the matchmaker's job, particularly in old um, Jewish yeah. communities, and actually sometimes in old Italian communities as well. Um, that was the person's job. They went around and looked for who was available, mm -hmm. what did they bring to the table, and who would that best fit with. Sure, sure. Yeah. And in a way, I feel like he takes comfort in the fact that he doesn't have to actively look for anybody, but at the same right. time, because he's not actively looking, he's never going to find the person he wants. Right. right. You know what I mean? It's always going to be what yeah. other people, again, perception, it's going to always be what other people think he wants. Yeah, I think it's a very interesting opinion, but if if I'm sort of thinking more psychologically, I actually think that the characters, and if I want to correct myself, these are actually five couples, five couples overall, ten characters, five couples. Mm -hmm. What I find so interesting about this song is these all these guys are pushing on to Bobby what girls they want to date themselves. Yeah, that's and also a big point of it, yeah. Which, which I think is right. Like, what you said was really right about how, yes, this is kind of what, like, what Dolly would do. Like, Dolly would look around, see what would work out. But it almost feels like when you think about all these these adult characters, they're all, they're all chasing some different things. They're, they're, it's about mm -hmm. sex or about money or about all these different things mainly about sex but it's basically basically sex but all the men have found all these women who they're really attracted to and they want to live through bobby right which is what i think the song is about it's really funny it it adds to that kind of like sarcasy yum bum dum if i got a girl for you wait till you meet her if i right. got a girl for you boy who boy you know it's very, mm -hmm. it's very machismo, kind of over the Big top. Time. I think that that plays into the psychological side of who do you, who do you expect to be dating? You know, not Bobby, but who do you right. like? Who would you want to? If you weren't married, who would you be putting on to Bobby? I think that's what, right. what makes that's, it so funny. And that's sort of uh, a combination of yours and my point, which is that sure, when I sure. when I said that, you know, they are sending people Bobby's way who they think he would want to date. Well, why would they think he want to date? Why would they think he wants to date them? Because they themselves find those traits attractive. So they assume, yeah, oh, well, exactly. why wouldn't he, right? I would, oh, so why wouldn't he? Yeah. You know what I mean? So it's almost like transference, you know what I mean? So it's yeah. they're pushing their emotions onto him, and it's not what he wants. So he's like, oh, okay, yeah, she's nice. Works you know out. what I mean? It's so beautiful. You know, right, it's exactly. one of those things too, and we'll talk about it when we get to the second act. But the polar opposite of that being poor baby, which I'm really mm -hmm. excited to talk about as well, that being a stark contrast to what the men think. You know, 
right. the women really want to all date Bobby, but they know they're all married, which mm-hmm. kind of adds into this, like, the men wanting to get out of that, and the women wanting to go this way. But they're, But it's one of those things where it's not, but that's not a perfect relationship. You're not thinking about what other, you know, but that's that's a very unhealthy thing if you're not only if you're not only if you're thinking only about the person that you're living with. If you think about other people and you're thinking about other relationships, that's what makes things healthy because you have an outside thought of what could be and what's possible, you know. And I think we we can hear that in the music about how like how like rough and tumble it is, you know. One of my favorite parts is is the B section. Is the what do you like? You like going home? <laughs> yeah. It, it, what do you want to get married, married for? for? Right. It, it kind of adds to this circusy up and down kind of roller coaster kind of thing. And the guys are just kind of like, what do you want to get married for? Here's this girl. Here's this girl. Right. I want to do this or this. You know? So I, I think, yeah, like you said, there's a little bit of the parenting, but there's also a little bit of wanting to, to see where it would go if you were Bobby. Right. You know? And I think that also well, plays in the music too, where it's kind of like, like I said, with the with the previous man, with with sorry grateful, there is this sort of like nah, nah, nah. Mm-hmm. it almost feels like there is this sort of like it's it's kind of putting yourself between a hard place and a rock. You know, it, you mm-hmm. never really know where you're going to end end up. And these characters are just are just so interesting too. But to your point, how many speaking of parenting versus what they want to do, how many parents mm-hmm. want to live vicariously through their children? That is correct too. Yes, yeah, you know right, what I yeah. mean. So it's like yeah, it's all yeah, connected. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Absolutely. And and actually, that really trans that really transitions well into the next song because we finally start getting a sense of what Robert is thinking personally. Right. You know what I mean? It's his. Mm-hmm. Is it his first solo song? I think so. One of his, yeah. Yeah, I think it's the first solo song that he has in the show, and it's called Someone is Waiting. And he lists off all these names and these traits of people he's known, and and he seems to lament the fact that no one has all of them. You know what I mean? Like, he, he's been saying, you know, like, this person had this trait, but this, and this mm-hmm. person had a really, I don't know, I think he says something about, like, um, he, I think he says at one point, a Susan sort of Sarah. That's right, um, yeah. And a genius so Joanne. Right, exactly. A genius Joanne. Yeah. And so he's he's really trying to put these people almost like in a Venn diagram, not even a Venn diagram, but like put them on a chart and and compare and contrast them, hoping to find a way to find someone who encompasses all these things that he's looking for. Yeah. And the song always makes me wonder, you know, was if Sondheim was thinking like is he missing the point of it, right? Is is yeah. it, the point is not you're never gonna the point is not sorry, backtrack. The point is that you will not find someone who has all these traits. The point is you have to accept someone who has a, a something that you gravitate towards, right? And then bringing back from the beginning, you know, the things that you enjoy together, those little things that's what becomes more important. You know what I mean? It's not about making sure that every single aspect of the person is ideal to you because, again, perfection, it, it doesn't really exist. Right. You know what I mean? He's not going – if he's seeking the perfect person, well, that's why he hasn't found anyone. He's not going to find anyone. Yeah. 
You know what I mean? So that always strikes me with this song because it's not a big song. It's actually a very small song in comparison to the other ones. But I feel like it has that. You just have to accept the fact that some that people are lacking the perfect combination, quote unquote, because there is none. Right. Right. There is none. And you don't know what they're looking for. Right. But you know what you're looking for. So mm -hmm. why not try pushing it on someone else? <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Um, anything else particular about that one? About... Uh, someone is waiting? Someone is waiting? I think something... If I can add, if I can add one thing... Sure. Which is... Um, you said it really funny. You said lamenting. But why does lamenting always have to deal with, like... The time signature of three four. <laughs> if, it just, if it just happened to be that three four has that descending cadence or something like that, but I don't know. I digress. But you know, I think, I think in a way, this this almost seems like a ballet to Bobby. Yes, I I very much get that vibe. And speaking of three four, we know how many we've talked about how much dance and ballet music is in three, right? Yeah. I mean, it's and and again, who are the primary dancers in ballet? Women, yeah. right? There's generally more men. There, there's generally more women than men, and they tend to be the focal point for a lot of for the majority of history of ballet. And you know, that's an interesting sort of symbolism that mm. he sort of alludes to. And what's interesting is, too, like, the emphasis isn't on one. It's on two. Mm -hmm. Someone is waiting. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. cool as hell, mm -hmm. and warm as Susan. And the words can be totally wrong. But what I'm saying is it follows that, you know, someone is waiting. You know, it, it feels like it's moving forward and there's no real like going backwards. Like I feel like with the other songs, yes, there's this kind of like oompa loompa kind of feel to some of them. <laughs> but with this one, it just it it it, it ever like I said, it, it always feels forward and it's moving. And Bobby is one of the most thoughtful, but not emotional people that I know. Mm -hmm. So he's really thinking about what he wants, but he doesn't know what he wants yet. Right. Which is totally normal, but he feels ostracized because he's he's in his forties and he feels like he doesn't know what he wants, and that's right. okay. He has to know what he knows. Eventually, it's going to be okay. But he knows at this moment he needs to change his life because he sees other people and how happy they are, and he wants that happiness. But is he willing to give up what he wants to get where they are? To to right. give up his you know. And we'll talk about that later, but I just thought it'd be kind of important to talk about. Yeah, definitely. Um, so the next song is called Another Hundred People. And personally, I think it's it's one of my favorites in the show, um, which is followed by Getting Married Today, which I know is one of Sean's favorites, but we'll uh, do Another Hundred People <laughs> first. <laughs> so um, yes. there's something about this song that I find very, very compelling and I, I couldn't, it's difficult to put into words, but I'll start with looking at the music, which is that if you look at the music, um, for those of you following along with your scores at home, um, it's in 4-4, four, four, and 
it starts off with this little, uh, it's listed as harpsichord, but I, I think it changes depending on the production. And it's Marta singing, and she says, um, another hundred people just got off of the train and came up to the ground. And she just sings on these really varying between like five notes up and down. Um, and it's a, like I said, it's a pretty static melodic line. But it has this syncopated part underneath it, which I think really adds this driving sense to it, um, oh, yeah, yeah. almost mimicking like the movement of, of train wheels. And you can envision the people getting off of the train. You know what I mean? It's just like this mass exodus off the train of people going onto the platform. Yeah. And the woman who's uh, who's singing it, it, it's like she's, I, I don't know how to describe it. She's not longing. It's just like she's, She's excited. Taking it all in. She's excited. Yeah, she is. She's taking it in. She's excited about it. Yeah. And I, there's just something about this piece I find so invigorating. Right. If you don't mind me adding, hey. echoing what you just said, um, something that I really like about this piece is that, you know, is is it's just it just kind of plays into the the whole New York City vibe, very much so. And I think, I think what's what's so cool about it is one of the greatest things about it is that it it, it does this really cool thing where it's kind of like all over the place, um, and. There are, you know, it feels like it's rushing and it's exhilarating. And for the character, you're just, you're just kind of like seeing all these different crazy things. And one of the greatest aspects of the song is finding really small Easter eggs that hint at the title of the song. So I hope it's okay, buddy. I have a recording up of a okay. little bit of the, a little bit of the end of the piece. And I want, I want us to just kind of take a little bit of a listen to it. And just kind of think about some Easter eggs that pop into this piece. So here's a little bit of this song. Here we go. Yeah, okay, so I was pointing it out to Hunter when we were listening to the song. You heard the... Yeah, so mm -hmm. that is what's in the song. And honestly, what's interesting about it is that that is Bobby's theme. And it also kind of it kind of pops in and out of of, you know what's happening the jumble and Bobby is one of those a hundred people, um, mm -hmm. which I think is actually kind of cool. And like you said, it, it, it's so, it, the song is just so exhilarating. It's just, it feels like you're flying. Um, and I, I and what's interesting is no, it's about on. the most mundane thing in the world. Like, it, <laughs> you know what I mean? It, it's, they're yeah, just, it's if you read the lyrics, she's, she's literally just talking about people going about their lives in the city 
and like what where's with the lyric that I had here? It was yeah. um where is it? Hang on, hang on. It says uh by the rusty fountains and the dusty trees with the battered right. barks, and they right. walk together past the poster walls and their uh, crude remarks. Yeah. Um, and they meet each other. Or sorry, and they meet at parties through friends of friends who they never know. Will you pick me up, or do I meet you there, or shall we let it go? Like it, it's just literally the everyday lives of people, which is like we, you know, we had said it's it's not very Sondheimian right. in the sense of like, I mean, he is a very down-to-earth composer, but he's yeah. often doing it through the lens of something not down-to-earth, you know what I mean? Yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. Whereas this is literally just, she's watching people get off the trip, <laughs> like, it's, and she's explaining that each of them are living their own lives, you know what I mean? It's like, you never, you don't really know what they're doing, but they're just living it, and he's yeah. one of them. Yeah, I know, and it is, I think, it, two, two things. One, it does explore the character of Marta, as the mm -hmm. character that we all know and we all love because she's just so explorative and she just loves seeing life blossom and just it, it's just so interesting the character of her which is just just all over the place but it's also making the point about the is there like a hundred fish in the sea you know like right there's like a morning fish in the sea but during all these these sequences bobby is getting out of Bobby is finding himself in less opportunities to be with women, so he feels constricted to to find other people, you know? Mm -hmm. So in that, he feels like it's getting slimmer and slimmer and slimmer, and he feels like he's kind of shrinking away. To Marta, Marta's exploring this great, large, you know, uh, visualization of life but as we're going along in the show it feels like bobby's window is slowly closing and he sees it and he's getting scared that he, it might be too late for him to get married right which adds which adds into that societal pressure to get married. right and the concept of perspective that we've been talking about right because exactly. they have two different perspectives on the same thing yes exactly marta being the one this is this is life i'm going to explore it i'm going to meet a thousand people Bobby thinking there is there is a hundred people, but it's getting smaller day by day. You know, who am I going to marry? You know, mm -hmm. and I think what's so interesting about the song, it kind of catches you off guard in that, you know, it's really exhilarating. It's fast. You know, it's it's New York City, baby. That's what all these these uh, these things are about. And he's kind of advertising what the what life is like in this you know large city of. Of right, million people. Yep, and then we get to your one of your favorites, ah. which I think is as it's definitely as driving as that song right. in the certain parts. Sure, um, but in a in a frantic, less uh, contented way. You know what I mean? It's it's yeah. definitely panicked. Yes, um, and of course, yeah. the song we're referring to is probably the second most well known song from the show which sure. is uh, getting married today. Right, yeah, definitely. So if you'd like to, if you'd like to take the reins on this one, um, what, what speaks to you most about this song? I know when we were talking about it before, you mentioned three distinctive parts. Yeah, yeah, I will, and I'll, I'll get to them quickly. So I'll, so I'll have more time for you to talk. Um, 
which is so like i said there are three aspects of the song today is for amy amy i mm-hmm. give you the rest of my rest life, of my life. And, then, and then we get bye by amy and then third being this this day blah blah blah, blah. and that's that's three aspects <laughs> of the song okay um what Sondheim does in this piece is he is he loves Gilbert and Gilbert and Sullivan. Gilbert and Sullivan. It's he very loved, much like that. It is he loved Peter Patter's song and it shows I am the Mary Mountain Mary Mountain General. Very yes, it is just like that. It's like that, but it's on steroids and it's more frantic. And it's awesome. My favorite story of all time about this piece is I, there's 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 a master class of Sondheim teaching this piece on YouTube. The guy who plays Paul is a terrible singer. Today <laughs> he can't hold a tune to save his life and Sondheim is picking this poor man apart to shreds. He's like, God, that sounds so bad. And one of the funniest things about this piece is Sondheim knows how fast it is and how really intense this piece is. So what's great about this song is as the as the woman is singing this whole song, you see Sondheim go forward and forward and forward and see and seeing if this woman can just keep up with what what the words are. It's crazy. Um, it's one of the funniest, one of the funniest things you ever see because sometimes like, are you going to do it? Are you going to make it? Are you going to make it all the way through without breathing? Um, it's, it's hilarious because Sondheim says you have to do this whole set. You have to do this whole segment without breathing because first of all, it's super frantic. The person who would actually be singing this real life wouldn't know how to breathe and would take a big breath after the whole thing. Which adds into the whole idea of phrasing, in which is that there really is no phrasing in this. It's 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 a really long time without breathing, and when you get that breath, it's during the you know it's it's hilarious, and I'll sum it up really quickly, which is the musically. It's it's musically it's incredible. It's it's as it's like talking about last midnight in uh, into mm-hmm. the woods, which is again conversational, all over the place. People talking over one another, singing their own personal beliefs and ideas, adding back to that whole idea of perspective. And then oh, you really, mean the first part of it, your fault? Yeah, it's your fault. Yeah. It's they're talking on top of each other, and it's crazy, and no one really knows what the time is. It's like yeah. this, but. There is this. There are two aspects of the song, which is the slow, bless this day, and today is for Amy. Amy, I give you the rest of my life. You know, versus the. That's all I say. That's all I say. Before I sound like a banjo, go ahead, my friend. It did sort of sound like a banjo. It did sound like a banjo. Yeah. I I just I find I always found this piece so impressive and um, believe it or not the first time I ever heard the piece was actually in Glee believe it or not um, I don't know yeah, if you ever no, watched the show it. I do I um, believe it 
I believe it. And the the psycholo- the psychiatrist character, not psychiatrist, the like school psychologists. Um, she is gonna get married, and she has this like mental breakdown as she's getting ready to get married. It, it's the same situation mm-hmm. from the from the play. But I remember th- sitting there, th- and she had like never really sung in any of the episodes before, and she sings this song. And you're like, what? And I remember sitting there thinking, what kind of madman wrote this song? Um, only years later did I finally find out that it was that it was a from a Sondheim show because at the time, I mean, I, I was like middle school or something when I saw it, and so I didn't really know him. Right. And then I found out I was like, whoa. I felt the same way about Rocky Horror. Oh, really? I was like, who would write this? And then I fell in love with it, just mm-hmm. because of how zany and crazy it is. That's something we also have to we have to do. We should probably do a podcast about Rocky Horror when it gets closer to Halloween, maybe. Yeah, it's more of a Halloween thing. Um, but there's a line in it, to your point, um, it's it's one of the choral lines, where is it? Oh, it. I love I love the line. It's, yeah. bless this bride, totally insane, slipping <laughs> yeah. down the drain. That's right, um, yeah. And bless it, uh, this day in our hearts as it starts to rain. Um, yeah. I just, I think it's so funny because it's, the choir not really watching her but like you know they're us and but but they're showing us that like we realize she's losing her mind bear with us please like it's just a very uh well-written scene and obviously the singers who have to do it uh, have an incredible skill for control right definitely you know i mean because it's three very different kinds of singing definitely yeah so it's it's something that stands out to me yeah um, and then the act ends with marry me a little. Um, <laughs> yeah. And I mean, you know, marry me. It, it's, he's almost desperate at this point. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah, I'd say so. I think what's interesting about it is it leaves you on a cliffhanger. Yes, it does. Which, you know, good act ones should do in that it should leave you with a lot of questions. What's going to happen to Bobby? How is Bobby going to react to a lot of these different things? Because right before he starts singing this, he says, so Amy basically dismisses her fiance. And then he's like, why don't you marry me? And then um, Amy says, you don't want to marry someone. You don't marry, you don't want somebody. You want to marry someone. Mm-hmm. Someone who you want, and then she's like, "Yeah, I'm gonna marry him anyway." And they go, they 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 get married, um, which is really really funny, um, because the whole song basically it's like her telling the audience how much she doesn't want to get married. But mm-hmm. you know, but um, the song leaves you in a place where I'm trying to think. It, it's such a weird thing too, because. You know, I was watching a uh, really old movie that I really liked called um, Admission um, with Tina Fey and uh, Martin Sheen and uh, Paul Rudd, where she I was mean, explaining it's not really Paul. old. Not really that <laughs> old, but to me, it feels old because I, I remember watching it. You know, when I went to my college, and one aspect of it that, that I remember is well it, it, to me it feels old because because i've been going to college for nine years which feels weird 
um, which is funny. But okay, I, I digress. But the thing which is so funny, which is she 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 makes this joke about how um, she says. She's like, it's, it sounds like when you say the word fork, it takes you less seriously when you say fork, 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 over and over. And she's kind of making that joke. But the thing that's funny about the song is that the whole thing, the ending is him re repeating himself. He's repeating himself singing, I'm ready, I'm ready. And he feels like because he says it, he feels like he's ready. Mm -hmm. But is he, is he ready? No, he's not. He's not ready. He can say it as much as he wants to, but he's not. And then the song kind of alters in like a weird way. And then it kind of returns to the beginning of the the musical where everyone was kind of found in his apartment singing company. Right. You know? Him blowing out the birthday candles. A, a year has gone by and he's back right. to where he was. And he feels like nothing has really changed since then. And he feels, he almost feels a little bit of, he almost feels a little trapped in that. Um, and the song is really beautiful. It's very playful. The piano part is all over the place. Um, but the lyrics really do make more of an effort just right at the end. And honestly, Hunter, the, the, the more important part that I paid attention to was the end of this piece where he just keeps going, I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready. Mm -hmm. But it, it doesn't feel like an end. It feels more of like a beginning. You know what it reminds me of? Yeah. yeah tell um, me. It reminds me of there's a line in, um, of all things, which has nothing to do with Sondheim whatsoever. Uh, sure. It's a line in Game of Thrones. Oh, um, okay. okay. Yes. And, uh, Lord Tywin Lannister, he says to his grandson, um, any man who must call himself the king is no king. Um, and it's sort of this idea of, if you have to keep telling yourself you're ready, right. I, 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 you're trying to convince yourself that you're ready. You know what I mean? It's not true. Anyone who is ready, truly, they're just going to do it. They're, they know that they are. They don't have to shout it from the rooftops. They're just going to do mm. it. If he has to keep telling himself, mm. the only person he's trying to convince is himself. Well, is it working? Not necessarily. Mm. So, speaking of ready, I think we're ready for a break. I would love a break. All right. So, um, having said that, we will uh, take a quick break sponsored by our friends. I want to just want to see how many times we can say the word break. <laughs> well, we'll take a break sponsored by our friends at Anchor. If you would like to support this podcast, please go to anchor.com and search Music Speaks Podcast to find ways to reach out to us. And you'll find our social media handles and ways you can contribute to said podcast. So after the break, we will be right back with Act Two of Sondheim's Company. <laughs> Any other final thoughts? Keep doing what you're doing. Find out the uh, meaning of life by one step at a time. Yes, and then the Sphinx can ask you and you can tell him your answer. <laughs> well, I guess with that, we thank you for listening and we hope to have you next time listening with us as we discuss more a variety of topics, actually. Sean, what's next on the docket? 
Do we know? We on the next in the docket is a seasonal October uh, thing, but I honestly think the next thing we're probably going to talk about is some Rocky Horror. Ah, all right. We'll probably, we'll probably do that next. All right. So then for those listening, you can look forward to that. With that said, my name is Hunter Sagona. My name is Sean Ramkunis, and for Mary Haddix Hermans, this has been a great production of Music Speaks, and we will see you next time. And keep listening to What You Love.